So last uh, last Sunday, we taught on uh, different doctrines, largely from the Catholic Church. We talked about transubstantiation, and our confession you know, states that um, it, it, it comes boldly against it and these popish inventions and the idea that, you know, the Eucharist literally becomes the body of Christ as the priest holds it up. It literally becomes the, the, uh, the body and blood of Christ. And that that's not true. It's not a literal, physical body and blood of Christ. But it's a spiritual representation. It's symbolic. And so this, this week we'll look at, at things a little uh, differently in paragraph 7. So here's paragraph 7. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly, by faith, really, and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified, and all the benefits of his death, the body and the blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. So we have the elements that we actually eat. We eat the bread and we drink of the cup. And they touch our outward senses. We can taste them. But it's a spiritual representation. He said, we eat and drink outwardly, but we are taking them by faith, believing that they really do represent the Savior, and thus do appropriate for ourselves the benefit of his work. But it's a spiritual. We do it spiritually. So he says, worthy receivers, those that can take communion rightly, and we'll talk about that in a minute, when they outwardly partake of the visible elements, they do inwardly, spiritually, by faith, really and indeed. There's the distinction, though. Not carnally or corporally. Not literally the body and blood of Christ. But spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified. In water baptism, which you know we say because we have a we have a open communion, but it's it's reserved, it's restricted to those who what have made a public profession of faith, which we do in water baptism. That's a big part of water baptism is we're publicly professing and proclaiming that Jesus is is who He said He was, that He's. He's God, that he's the son of God, that he died in our place, that our sins were appropriate, our sins were put upon him, and he took the punishment that we deserved, and we received by faith that substitutionary atonement. And see, it's at water baptism that we we recognize, not in water water baptism are we made to be united with Christ, that happens the moment we believe. 
we're united with him, right? And we go, Romans 6, as we go under the waters, we're united in his death. And we're, again, symbolically, we're united with him in his death. We're also united with him in his resurrection. And so we're one. We're in communion with Christ. We're in union with Christ. We're one with Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which with we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break? Is it not communion? The communion of the body of Christ? But they're representative elements. Turn with me to John chapter 6 and verse 29. John 6, John's Gospel. You have a Bible. So there were many who came and followed Christ because he was feeding them, because he was meeting their physical needs, and he drew a crowd. Hey, get a free meal. They were coming because of what they could get out of him. And, 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 and then he withdrew, and in verse 29, actually in 26, he rebukes them. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And then he rebukes him. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, the food which endures to everlasting, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Now I want you to think about this in context. This is believe. This is the work of God that you believe. Because that's what makes you worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. That you believe, that you're a believer, that you've by faith believed on Christ and his righteousness. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then said they to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all Of whom he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
See, this passage, it's all about bread. It's all about believing. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore had answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up the last day as it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Okay. Look at verse 48. Again, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. See, we had, God fed the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're wandering. And God fed them. Manna came down. They said, well, Moses gave us. No, Jesus said, no, Moses didn't give you that bread. My Father, which is in heaven, gave you that bread. And all who ate that bread in the wilderness are dead. It was a picture of the sustaining power of Almighty God to feed his people physically. Now we partake of that bread and he feeds us spiritually. Recall, we died in Adam, we're dead. And as we are born again, as we're regenerated by the Spirit of God, it's Him, He makes us alive in Christ Jesus. And it's those that are alive in Jesus that he, the Father has made alive in Christ through regeneration by the Holy Spirit that feed on Christ. We feed on Him. And to us, He's the bread of life. He's, he is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We, we live by him and through him. See, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And so when we take of the bread at, at the Lord's table, we're symbolically taking it and recognizing that our union with Christ and that he is our sustainer and we live because he lives. We don't look at it and say Christ is being offered again. He's being sacrificed again like we talked about in Hebrews last week. One sacrifice, one time, forever. 
A perfect sacrifice. You can't add to it. You can't make it any more perfect than it was. And we access that one sacrifice by faith. A perfect sacrifice from a perfect high priest. He went into the Holy of Holies carrying his own blood. He didn't go in carrying the blood of bulls and goats. And he didn't have to make a sacrifice for his own sins. He had none. And saints, we partake of him. We eat of him. But spiritually, And then as we look at the Lord's table, the the scripture that we read most every Sunday, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, you know, this is probably the first recording is in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians because it was written before the gospel. I didn't know that. I learned that from uh, MacArthur's commentary last week. I I didn't, I just had never thought about it. And MacArthur thinks that that Paul would have received this directly from the Lord. And yet, it's the same words that were spoken of in in the Gospels we see. Jesus celebrating the Passover, the Last Supper. He longed to celebrate. He said, I long, I desire to have this Passover feast with you. As he took the bread and he broke it, he said, these are the words This is my body, which is broken for you. It's because he's going to give eternal life to his own disciples, those that were nearest and dearest to him. And when he had given thanks, he he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come to the table, as the confession says, we do really and indeed, but not carnally and not corporally. It's not his physical body we're eating. It's a spiritual representation. And it serves as a reminder to us. Remember. So Paul says, remember. It's a remembrance. It's a memorial. We're looking back. And when we take of the cup, when we take of the bread, it's good for us to, 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 to in our mind, go back. And think about our Lord's great sacrifice for us. That blood was shed for you. It was the purchase price of your redemption. As I read this morning, the precious blood of Christ, it is precious. It's the most precious thing in the universe. The blood of our beloved Son of God. Well, let's look at paragraph 8. By the way, there is another picture from the Old Testament. It's the Passover lamb. The blood had to be spilled because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the Father passes over and those that are covered under the blood. Now we see that many of them died in the wilderness because they didn't truly believe. They perished because of their unbelief. But there were true believers that came out. They were looking... Is a picture of Christ coming. But they were commanded to eat the lamb. To, to spill the blood and to strike it upon the doorpost. Never, never, never. 
on the threshold, always in the lintel and on the side post. We never trampled the blood of Christ. But they were commanded to eat all of the lamb. None of it could remain. A lamb for a house. Another picture of the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. The bread of life. The lamb of God. Okay. So paragraph A. All ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with Christ, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against him, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. Yea, whosoever shall receive unworthily are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment to themselves. Well, this is taken directly from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and verse uh, 29 or thereabouts. That why we're to examine ourselves and not to take the, the bread and the cup unworthily. There's two classes of people here. There's the ungodly and the ignorant. The ignorant are those uh, who are unconverted. And if they're openly unconverted, how can they remember a Christ that they don't know? And they break the commandment of God. They break the third commandment because they're taking the name of the Lord in vain. They break the ninth commandment because they're bearing false witness, false testimony. It's not true. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, one of our proof texts, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And in Matthew 7, 6, another proof text, he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and tear you into pieces. So the ignorant are not welcome at the Lord's table. It will do them no good. In fact, it will bring judgment upon them. Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, and actually I read this whole verse this morning, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. See, that's what you and I were before Christ saved us, before Christ made it, before the Father made Christ known to you, before you were regenerate. You were darkened in your understanding. You couldn't see it. You couldn't hear. Unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Unless he's born of the spirit and water, he can't enter it in, enter into it. He can't even see it. And so that's what we were. But see, God has made that known to us. But those that are still in darkness, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. That's where they get the ignorant. That doesn't mean that they're dumb. They're not dumb. They're just blinded. It's not that they haven't, they're not smart enough to figure it out. They just can't see it. And when we look at ourselves, this is why we ought to just rejoice and fall on our face before God because you didn't do anything. God didn't choose you because you were so smart, because you had it all figured out. 
fact, he chose Israel because they were the most stiff-necked of all people. What does that say of us? <laughs> that he might show his glory in you and in me. He could show the unbelieving world what he can do with his own creatures. The ignorance is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Well, here's how we have access. Here's who can take it worthily. We see in Acts 2.41, those uh, 3,000 get saved, right? Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So they received the word, they were baptized, and then it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This is the design of our Lord's Day meeting. You know, there was a, before we, you know, the church 16 years ago, as we planted it, we, we didn't have the insight. We, we, we were not reforming our doctrine. And the children used to partake in, in communion with us. And, you know, we, our understanding at that time was that it was the house, the, the whole household participated in the, eating the Lamb of God at the Passover. But it's really as we came to believe and understand that an unbeliever, even our children, they until they believe, they can't have, they're not in communion with Christ. And so that's why we, when we switched several years ago, when we began to say only those who have been water, baptized, water baptized and made a public profession of Christ, that, that happens at the same time. They're welcome at the table. So here we see who's unworthy, and um, it's the ignorant. And there's great disagreement on who the ungodly are. Is it um, those that aren't viewing the communion table correctly, like some people believe? Waldron believes that. But others, myself included, I think in, in Wald, uh, or, uh, MacArthur and others, I believe that it's, hey, we see Christ saying, hey, if your brother's offended, leave your gift at the altar. You know, go make it right. And, and you know, if, if, we're, if, if our hearts are full of bitterness or we're ripped off at somebody, we're full of anger, or we're, we shouldn't partake of the... We, we need to confess that sin. We need to get clear before we should take the Lord's Supper. That's, that's my personal opinion. The other elders may have a different take on that. that that's my perspective on it. And if we judge ourselves, by the way, that's, there's two different words here in, in this text in 1 Corinthians. If we judge ourselves, the King James doesn't do a very good job with it. It says, we will not be condemned with the world because the world is under the wrath of God. We judge ourselves and we're taking communion worthily. We're not under the wrath of God. The world is under the wrath of God and if they take the communion, unworthily they're under condemnation so we have to examine ourselves we should never take the lord's supper casually it's a very sober time it's a time of great rejoicing as we look back on what christ has accomplished for us 
I could live, let me give you two scriptures and we'll close. In Hebrews 6, 5. There are those who have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the son of God. And put him to an open shame. This would be a false professor that um, they're crucifying the Son of God again. And in Hebrews 10.29, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? You and I we're sanctified. We're justified. We're declared righteous by the blood of Christ. We're sanctified. We're washed by the blood of Christ. And he says, if we trample that underfoot, calling it a common thing, we've insulted the spirit of grace. Think of how you feel when you see somebody... Uh, trampling on our just our United States flag you go that's not right that's wrong you know you want to bring it the blows over that but the flag is nothing compared to the blood of Christ and so when we come to the table we ought to examine ourselves we ought to confess our sin if we've offended or are offended We need to ask forgiveness. We need to make it right. We need to take these representations of our Lord's body and blood, receive them with faith, receive them with great adoration. We don't worship them like the Catholics, believing that they're the the literal body and blood. They, They adore because they believe it is literally, which is why for years the Catholics did not serve the cup to lay people because they were afraid that somebody would spill the blood of Christ. There you have it. Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Christ that has redeemed us, that has washed us, that has atoned for our sins. We are thankful and grateful. Help us to be careful And for some of the children that have not been baptized, may they desire that, that they might partake of this greatest blessing that you have given us, to be able to eat and drink of you. We give you thanks, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.